Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Rachel, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the Swedish market. Today, I am joined by Janjun, Martin, and Adelric to discuss navigating changes in tech. Now, before we delve deeper into the topic, I would like to work our way around the room with some introductions. So I'd like to know who you are, what it is that you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. Martin, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Martin Brath, and uh, I work as a product manager for EA Mobile Robotics, uh, uh, which is a manufacturer of AGVs and AMRs, mainly for the automotive industry. Uh, and uh, currently, a big uh, a big passion of mine is, uh, is I recently acquired a house also, so programming has always been a, a big passion. And uh, uh, currently, I spend a lot of time and money on uh, on ho- automating my, my home as well <laughs> and try to make it more smart. And of course, it's a, it's a, I also like live music quite a bit, and it's a festival season here in Sweden, so I just been at, uh, attending Sweden Rock and Watch Metallica and Gothenburg last weekend. So, yeah. Fantastic. Great introduction. Thank you, Martin. Um, Adelric, would you like to go next? Hi, I'm Adelric Wong. I manage the web and marketing products at Aurobay. So that includes the website, digital marketing and digital enablement to our business stakeholders. And I'm a very visual individual. So I like to see exciting things, whether that be events, shows, and websites or new technologies. That is my, uh, what, that's what gets me interested and excited on. Fantastic. Thank you, Adelric. And finally, Yanjun, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Yanjun and, uh, I work as an engineering manager at Reptile now. Uh, before I also worked as a system developer and tech leads and score masters. So I've been uh, working as different roles around IT development. My passion is uh, now I'm a father of two boys. So I, my, a lot of my energy is focused on the, raising them and taking care of them. And also I'm a football fan and watching Manchester United as my, as my hobby. And I uh, hope I follow their news. So, so uh, yeah, that's me. Amazing. Well, great introductions from each of you. And I'm really excited to jump into the topic. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So the topic in focus is navigating changes in tech. Now, you have all prepared a question or a statement on this topic. And what I will do is I will work around the room asking each of you to kind of pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Now, today, I would like to start with um, Adelric. So, Adelric, your question was, with the emergence of new tech, how do you convince stakeholders, address skepticism and gather approval in order to get ideas off the ground? Could you give me a little bit of context to this situation, please? 
Yeah. So this um, this this question that I that I uh, propped up is based on the basis of under of understanding that I mean change change is constant, but people are resistant to change, and there are people that are adaptive, and there are those that are resistant to change until convinced otherwise. So the the perspective is theirs. Now with in 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 the current age with a lot of new technologies uh, emerging, especially in what is referred to so called the AI age versus the dot com bu- bubble age, there's a lot of new um, technologies, new uh, ways of working that can be applied, and there, of course, there is skepticism towards some of them, and then there is more um, acceptance towards um, others. So the the question really is, how do we work on convincing stakeholders that um, what this change that we want to uh, w- use or go with is is viable and it's practical enough that convinces um, the majority to be in on it rather than against this and yeah just that that was how the perspective was shaped around how do we approach um how do we approach change in a, a respectable way where we don't be resistant just for the sake of it but we sort of um have have the understanding okay is it something we should be resistant to and if if that's the case what is the the basis for that or if it's something we should be accept, accepting towards, and what is the basis for that? So, so, so just draw the balance and have a very open-minded um, perception on everything that is new. Amazing, no, I think that's a great question. Uh, who wants to kick us off with this? Well, I, I can chip in some ideas. Uh, normal, normally, uh, for example, even stakeholders as, as a team, we we normally uh, have some um, have someone in the team as has more uh, experience in, in technology wise and also follow, following the, the trend of the current market uh, with with that uh, interest in their minds all the time and they, they, they keep actually uh, bringing up uh, ideas and uh, a new technology wise how so we, how, how do we suppose to do things so that then they can persuade actually their stakeholder behind so how we are supposed to do things. In, in the meantime, actually, uh, we, we have also, also have eyes on our competitors, how, how we are doing things, how they are doing things, you know, maybe in a different way, how they are following the trends of the market, uh, and uh, methodology-wise and technology-wise, so that it's, it's more easy, easier to persuade the stakeholders by looking at not just our internally, but also externally for what other people is doing. So. And if they are already, like the majority of the competitors, or like most of the people are already doing this, then, then most of the stakeholders are like, okay, we're, we need to do this in the area and we're we are already like behind. So this is like a pressure wise to, to, to make them like, commit more committed. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting point because it's um, usually like this when there's uh, in, in, in market trends, Usually uh, in companies, when they see that there's buy-in from other companies that's adopting certain new emerging technologies, they too want to jump in on the trend or also be not be left behind. But I, I think what br- brings about from this is is the curious question of how 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 do you or how do we as organizations get the first mover advantage in the sense of if we come across new technologies that we want to apply in our projects that there isn't really a... Um, a way to look at the market to see that not many has uh, picked up the technology, but we want to have the first mover advantage. How do you go about that rather than waiting for enough competition and trends to pick up to to be con- to convince your stakeholders to want to apply such technologies? So it's a bit of a balance between: do you want to be the first mover? Do you want to have the first mover advantage, or 
do you want to wait a little bit until the market has sort of tested out the technology? And both have their pros and cons in the sense of if you're first mover, either it's a, it's, it's a very successful uh, application of new technology or it goes bust and, uh, that re- and, and the fallout of that. But in the case of if the trend is already picked up in the market and there's a lot of buy-in, then it's a more safe uh, way of applying new technologies, I'm thinking. I can actually say that we we actually have that as a is our business model that we are are not even allowed to jump aboard uh, ship of new technology. We must wait because we work a lot of reliable. We sell a lot on uh, on that we make reliable products, and as you said, it's very easy for it's new thing take things coming all, uh, all the time, and it's of course it's a very high risk to adapt new technology. But on the other hand, it's also a very high risk not to. Sometime you need to to adapt a new technology, but. The, since we have that in our business plan, actually, that we are we never ever sell product with uh, with ex- yeah with extreme new technology. We must I must always or we must always wait for certain t- times so that we know that this technology is matured and we are kind of small company as well. So, uh, so, so yeah, in order to minimize risk, but of course we can. On the other hand, we risk losing business, but that's uh, that's how we approach it. At least, yeah, yeah, I think so. There's always like a balance. Well, that how can you cope with that uh, to to get adapted to the new changes to come into your come into your way. So it depends on the industry as well. So I guess as Martin said, manufacturing industry is kind of like unique, and uh, I mean specialized in a way that you cannot adapt to like every latest new changes, and you don't know that what is good or bad. So that the the risk is kind of high. But uh, yeah, but uh, in IT. You kind of look at different stories that, for example, we, there's, for example, Amazon and uh, Microsoft, they have a yearly summit uh, conferences to, to bring up new technologies in cloud and we can use to minimize a lot of our resources cost and uh, change our performances and optimize a lot of our uh, effort on making things even sm- making more smooth, making them move smaller, much smoother. So, so in, in that sense, then, then I think uh, we sh- we probably if we need to want to track something, for example, OpenAI exposed this new APIs, so that we maybe we need a, like a side project uh, with a leader, like guiding how, how the team can cope. That uh, maybe how we can adapt them into our, or maybe just a small piece of their uh, our product feature, so that maybe we can test that out with how how we, how we can technology wise how we can. Uh, bring them in and integrate it with our product better or uh, some uh, audiences wise uh, maybe they're more welcome and also i think our investors keep asking good questions like how can we adapt new ai technologies so though from our from that sense uh, a lot of stakeholders are, are also like really welcome for the new ideas and technology trend yeah i think it's a threshold of risk versus reward in terms of approaching these opportunities and like you mentioned it's a bit more challenging due to the st- the, the, the the nature of um how do you say core and stable business in the manufacturing industry so what we have uh, applied in orobe is we do have our core business portfolio but we're also looking towards ha- having um working on innovative new ideas as a as a as a smaller segment of our um, business um, offerings to be and that we eventually uh, the intention is to eventually balance this out where we have both core business and innovative businesses where we build um, new ideas into projects into and and thereby into into business initiatives and that 
we uh, have divided being uh, uh, within the company having Orobay that represents core business and Orobay X that represents innovation. So that we are in, it's it's still uh, early and young to really report on any results, but we have at least, the, the, it's important to start with the mindset and the culture within the company to understand that yes, we are a manufacturing industry and yes, we have a lot of core business, but it's also okay to encourage new ways of thinking, new, new um, um, the the acceptance of oh if there is emerging technology uh, let's 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 bring this up rather than um, put them aside and in terms of how can we apply this to business how can we think of ideas and, and and work on them then sort of encouraging more collaboration and looking at uh, looking at um, let's say what is being done in um, other companies around us maybe instead of seeing things as competition we can see that as collaboration opportunities because. Uh, we believe that going forward to, to, together, that there might be uh, like more than one uh, solution. So it, it's it's I, I don't think it's at the point anymore where it's only one solution will win them all. But I believe, or uh, we also think that multiple solutions can can result in fruitful outcomes for as many involved. And of course, that that's a really <laughs> uh, what you're doing as a business also is of course real because done. Uh, the society as a whole is uh, eventually pushing out maybe the internal combustion engine, and uh, we we need <laughs> the society makes uh, makes a need for for new te- to push in new technology, and of course that must be really hard to work in such a company where the billions of dollars have been spent into the development of the of the engine, and then uh, all of a sudden <laughs> we must come up with a new product here. And how uh, how do you make how do you t- make such decisions? I mean, it's yeah, so much money put into this industry, and then. Perhaps it's going, uh, going out of bi- not going out of business. But uh, how do we change this product to in order to adapt to what the society demands? Because uh, yeah, um, yeah, and that 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 has been a challenge uh, in in the industry indeed with the internal combustion and uh, hybrid engines. But the way we see it is this way: if we are able to work on a new en- engine that is um, using the same mechanics of a combustion engine but only accepting um, sustainable and, and renewable e-fuels, then instead of trying to build a, a complete new infrastructure and new solutions to 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 um, improving the uh, the emissions in, 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 in the world and so on, we can look at what is the existing um, infrastructure and how can we just do a little bit of tinkering and a little bit of changes to actually sort of, how do you say, em- em- embed new technologies in existing technologies. So instead of building com- something... Um, altogether uh, new from scratch whereby you have to go into policies um infrastructure and so on it's just applying te- new technologies on an existing um, network and infrastructure that's already in place which has a i would say less of a footprint than doing the entire electrification route however we don't see that as an issue either as because we believe in collaboration where um we th- we we need multiple solutions it's not a one size fits all it's we as an industry, we need to um, come up with new uh, technologies to apply on the existing infrastructure. But the new infrastructure that's being built, it's still young and, and, and not yet mature. So that also needs to be um, developed. So both these, all of these developments need to run concurrently such that we as a, uh, as as, um, as many companies and, and society together can actually achieve the goals, the very ambitious goals I might add, that is, that is sort of put in place by Every everyone that's starting to get more and more concerned about um, the different aspects of our world. 
Amazing. Well, I think that was a really great discussion around your question there, Delric. I'd now like to move on to Yanjin's question, if that's okay. So, Yanjin, you wanted to kind of bring up the topic of um, technical debt in products. So, your question was that there must be kind of some extent of technical debt in products in such a rapid changing tech world. Now, some people argue we don't need to deal with them straight away and only deal with them when consequences show up. But how do we balance the new tech development with old tech migrations? So tell me a little bit more about this question, Yanjin. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit based on uh, how the reptile is working so that uh, we, we actually uh, do have some technical debts in, in our product line. Uh, I think everybody knows because we are, our core business is calling with, uh, like BYP calls. And nowadays, uh, people with you mobile uh, smartphones, uh, WhatsApp, WeChat, and the Messenger. So they don't need a BYP calls that much as like 10, 20 years ago. Because nowadays, like most of our audiences is like from a uh, developed country to developing countries. So that is our main audiences. But also we can still foresee, foresee that the calling business is, uh, is going a little bit gradually down. So that we need to actually develop new products within within our product lining so that we can, we can serve, serve uh, our customers better. In that sense, we would when we develop new products, uh, in the meantime, we need to maintain our old products. Uh, so that, that is bringing on a lot of technical debts, uh, how we can trans- transfer that from the old technology stack into the new technology stack we're developing. So that is the context we, uh, I mean that I want to bring this up to how do we uh, drive that the old technology stack like smooth and smoothier to the news because yeah, I think a lot of companies actually when they have a, have a really working or functional product they don't just touch it and say just keep maintaining them and make them uh, run uh, as, long, as long as there's no mistakes or no bugs coming then it just keep, keep them doing uh, in that way but uh, we had to then them maybe in five years, ten years, so when the platform for example, Microsoft stop stops supporting certain uh, framework that we are running on, and then that we actually need to move them. So, so that that's how kind of uh, we don't want to uh, wait until that day comes. We want to do this in advance so that we are in better grass. Oh yes, that's that's the context where uh, I mean. Amazing. Has anyone here had to deal with kind of balancing new tech development with old tech migrations? Yeah, it happens all the time, and it, and that's as you said, it's really changing. It's a, a really, really challenging. It, the new technology comes in all the time, and sometimes it's a completely new de- programming tool or something that you need to do as well. And but we still have a lot of old source code, and how we do deal with that. But usually, what we have done in the past is sometimes we just say that now <laughs> we have done. Uh, Perhaps we have not been so good at it, but we have done, like you, you said, we have actually just stopped developing the old and then take the good bits and pieces that we have in that, uh, in that and then we have just tried to ma- migrate that into a new platform and then all the new fu- functionalities done in the new uh, new software stack or y- using the new tools and then we have just stopped developing uh, the, the old things and then just added if, it's, was, if it has been completely necessary or if a customer has... The demanded it. Otherwise, we have just forced the customer to buy the new a new product with the new hardware and the and the new software. And then yes, so we just can stop focusing on the old. Yes, deal deal with the new. Uh, perhaps that's not not the best approach, but uh, 
that's how we have dealt with it at least. But do you, do you normally like move that when migrate them, uh, start from scratching or, or, or just to move them piece by piece or like uh, or module by module? <laughs> module by module, maybe. We have, we have to, since it's, of course, it's very time consuming to rewrite all, all software from scratch. We have, we have had this shift just not recently, but two, three, three years ago when it was a completely new hardware platform and then we needed to add this new uh, programming tool as well. Uh, but then we had the possibility to mi- at least migrate a lot of code. And then, so first we started off migrating and just rewrote some parts. But then now we, it's still a work in progress. So, of course, we need to modernize the complete code base, but we do it module by module uh, and then try out that, that new module and then implement that. And then, so eventually we will end up with everything rewritten and every everything modernized. But, uh, I've been hearing that all along. <laughs> Eventually, we will be there, but it depends how much effort yeah. we're going to be put on this thing, how much the priorities of our work and the product line, yeah, product manager's idea, how do we want to do this, how do we balance uh, the priorities uh, between different stakeholders. Uh, most time, most of the time, uh, the, the tech leads within the team and pro- product managers, they could have different ideas how we want to address the problem and also they they have a different opinions like maybe someone want to ditch the old stack completely but someone also want to keep some of the the good things and uh, move them piece by piece it's a lot of discussions i'm going could be like that yeah it's kind of a, yeah it's not any an easy topic i i do of course the, the best way perhaps would just be to rewrite everything but uh, that of course it's a lot of time consuming and then if you rewrite everything you introduce a lot of new new features and bugs <laughs> yeah it seems like a common issue that a lot of companies regardless of their scale and size they face where they they keep working on an existing um, code base and a platform and they keep adding and adding adding to it that there's a lot of technical depth that carries over and the issue about this it also becomes uh, when when you have the flow of people are onboarding and out offboarding from the company when you have new teams that takes over is the documentation is placed is is the is the code um, fully uh, practical and functional the way it's intended to be? Um, are there certain parts that wasn't developed on, and that knowledge doesn't always carry over necessarily to the to to the new teams or the new members that get onboarded. So you have parts of the um, you you either you're, you're stuck with um, a system that either has functionality that no one um, uses or a system that is not and fully envisioned the way it's intended. And then when it's continued build up, most of the time I've seen it play out across many companies is they choose to just move the code base, rewriting it, as, as you all both mentioned, rewriting it from scratch. And that takes up a lot of um, both um, cost and, and, and competence hours and time. And I, I think a better approach or sh- should be that um, what whatever existing systems that companies have, there should be a proper like regular cleanup or regular optimization to make sure that everything's in place should the transfer at any point in time be, be, be needed. But at the same time, work when when new projects or new um platforms or, or code base are being written up to to really ensure that from the inception the 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 the, the, the approach and and the way of working is there that everything is properly documented and it's done in a way where uh, it's it's sort of modular where not everything is really um linked or fully integrated to the extent that they that the one doesn't work without the other so a bit like from an architectural perspective but also from um having information in place well documented and so on that it's easy to 
uh, whoever goes in and out of the project be able to um, continue the code base with with the platform. But it, it is it is a very um, like you said um, uh, t- t- uh, they're opinionated topic because there's many approach towards um, this, and I, I I think it's a common challenge that many companies that it's a it's a trial and error process. Maybe everyone's still looking for what's the best approach, and some some works some approach works for companies of certain um business domains and scale and some approach does not and and yeah that is um the, the challenge that's carried on yeah i agree not just about i think not just about the you know technology although it's set up a little bit about the methodology as well so that uh, for example we, before a lot of companies are building uh, monolithic big applications Nowadays, uh, microservices is really, really popular. And then uh, a lot of companies starting to break their monolithic application down into pieces and small pieces into microservices and rebuild the whole system line. And then and without really, really actually realizing if this this is going to help their product performance or, or how, how so maybe it's not even like big boost or maybe it's just uh, slow things down. You know, so. I think some companies are already moving microservices back to monolithic. So, so, so I think it's also good that for companies maybe to to actually take a deeper look at your product if it's really, really, uh, if it's following the big trend is really what what you need. Or if it's not, then probably we shouldn't just uh, doing things as other everybody else do. Yeah, so so it's a bit like uh, doing a bit of like inventory cleanup looking at um your 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 existing platforms and system whether do you really need the change or is the change really needed and and if you do then looking at whether this would impact performance whether actually impact operational business how do you um, move your your users to the new platform or how do you use uh, and and a lot of these aspects to be looked at in tandem before initiating um uh, rewriting an entire code base doing a new project or maybe it's better to use an existing system so it's I think what a lot of companies need to do is find 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 the balance that works for them, but not necessarily what works for another company per se. Yeah, exactly. And our customers really don't care how what our code base looks like. But what we have seen is that we uh, what the customer sees is what we was there. We must modernize, and we must modernize more often uh, working on the UI, the UI part of thing. Because if it looks if it looks good, then they think that. And they don't don't really care what's under the hood, as well. So there we have seen a little bit more, and and that was not the case uh, before. Then it then it then the UI could look a little bit more old school or what you say. But now we have seen that that, that part we have needed to rethink a lot because uh, you need to have a it can it can work the same under the hood, but it needs to look look modern, <laughs> flashy. Yeah. So the UI, there's a lot of uh, a lot of new modern frameworks coming. Coming into the market, and, uh, many of them claiming that we can do this, we can do that, we can be unified platform, uh, like React and a lot. And so, so that, so that's how, how, we, how do you like choose the UI uh, without like uh, destroying your old stack of UI? Uh, it's we're we're quite reliant on hardware as well, so we uh, we have to go the path that. Uh, that our hardware suppliers, because we, as we work in the industry, we uh, we are reliant on, on certain pieces of hardware to display the UI on, uh, and we use that kind of software. So we are, we are kind of forced uh, forced into that. But uh, they are also changing, of course. And now it's uh, 
HTML5 and uh, whatever that they are uh, that we're going into. So now we are rewriting or supposed to rewrite ev- everything, and of course that's that's exactly what we are talking about. <laughs> and now our engineers need to need to uh, uh, re yeah because they are not experienced, and we need to train them in that. And uh, but if we don't make that jump or don't make that leap, then of course that even though it, the product would still work the same, it would just look different. Uh, uh, other yeah the customer thinks that our pr- product is worse <laughs> worse than the uh, than the others because it it looks a little bit worse so of course we need there were actually forced we need to invest in in education and we need to we just need to make the jump uh, and of course then when we, once we have made it then we have a have a platform that hopefully lost a couple of <laughs> couple of years but that but then yeah in that case i would say it's actually the customer that's it's forcing us to make make the jump and uh, and also, what what type of hardware we have? So we don't have so many UI platforms to choose from, but uh, that that makes the choice a little bit easier. Yeah. So so from from what I'm hearing, it's a bit like because you have specific criteria and like prerequisites, and it becomes like an objective list. So that also helps a little bit narrowing down the frameworks that you can go with that fits in line with what you require, as well as perhaps the the brand perception to maintain that look and feel of the, of the company and the product offerings. Yeah. That that yeah that. Uh... Exactly what you say. So that actually helps a little bit in this case. At least it narrows narrow it down. But we still, uh, we st- the market demands us to make that jump. Or otherwise, we can we we can choose not to make that jump. But then, uh, then I think at least we as a company think that the customers. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the product the, pr- the product will still work the same. But it, it just looks a little bit better. <laughs> and hopefully, the new platform gives us the possibility also to to implement new things. So. Uh, it's uh, hopefully it will be good in the end. Fantastic. I think that was a great discussion around your question there, Yanjun. Martin, I wanted to come to your question yet next. I thought it was a very interesting one. So you're looking um, really at you know what strategies and approaches can an individual and a professional employ to kind of successfully navigate career transitions and stay relevant when tech is constantly and rapidly changing. So what strategies do you think individuals and professionals should employ, Martin? It's a yeah, it's a really challenging question. I don't have the perfect answer on that, but but I see that, especially now, it just the wheel keeps on spinning faster and faster and faster. And you know, uh, one before you can uh, be an expert on VB6, for instance, just to say that. And then should I jump on the .NET train or should I learn Java now or what's the, what's the next the uh, next big 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 thing to learn? Uh, it's of course the easiest. It's just to stay in the boat, and because now I've spent so much personal time to learn this uh, programming language. If we, if we talk about programming, but if I don't, sooner or later, the the demand for your expertise will will run out. Uh, so, so how, how do you do that? But I think uh, staying the change in technology have also opened up uh, quite a new possibilities. Of course, now we have uh, like. Uh, to the site and the Coursera and uh, what, whatever those platforms are called. So you can actually quite, now you can have the, the knowledge of the world basically at home. You, that's before you had to, uh, you know, rent books and stuff and uh, or buy books and, and to look at them. So in one way, way, it's easier to just try to educate yourself. But uh, uh, on the other hand, you have so much information now. So what, what's relevant and what what technology should I should I get? The company or me as a personal, what sh- what should I learn? Because I cannot learn them all. It's impossible to learn uh, every pr- every pro- programming language out there. Uh, but 
but that's really hard. And also, of course, we as a company, you need to uh, to shift your employers and they feel the same. Of course, oh, no, I spent the last five years or 10 years doing this. And now I'm supposed to just throw that knowledge away. Of course, it's very hard because you have, you have spent so much time and effort to, to acquire that knowledge. So uh, how, how do you... Um, how do we as a company try to push push individuals to learn new, new things? Of course, we try to send them to to fairs or um, conferences. That's a great way because if you if you talk about new technology, sometimes you yeah, if you're at least a little bit curious person person, then uh, then you then you tend tend to adopt and also <laughs> bring in some young people because young people even though. Uh, they, they are a little bit more naive or I don't know if just. The conservatism comes with age. I don't know that, but uh, but sometimes it can help just to bring in uh, new fresh blood, and they can yeah just um, make the olders uh, want to learn new things because yeah, so they get a feel that they will uh, um, be left behind if if they don't jump on board that train. I don't know if you others have uh, how you work with this because it it's happened all the time. It happens all the time, and it's happened faster and faster because 10 years ago yeah you know this technology will be around for at least five or ten years now it seems like it can come and just disappear in three or four years or actually i would argue that uh, uh, a lot of like experienced or even older people actually they are more eager to learn new things uh, than we thought they could be so that actually i've been met i've met a lot of very experienced you know, like in their 50s, you know, 60s, they are very eager to learn new things, eager to get into the new conferences, learning, for example, what is coming into the new cloud platform from Amazon or from Microsoft, uh, what's the options, uh, for example, from the uh, DevOps area and from uh, IoT support area and from uh, coding-wise, what is C-sharp 8.0 or uh, what is the .NET Core that's six bringing us the new technology. They are actually pushing from their end, okay, from, from the whole to to the, all the all the teams. Uh, you know, like younger people, they are not even paying attention, but they actually the the the, the mindset actually from the older people, so which is actually very impressive. So I would I would, I would say that mindset of the people is really really important. So they can actually by really do the influence on all teams, which is really 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 nice. What you're saying is, yeah, you need to find those people and, and have them as kind of as mentors and coaches for, for the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you are, maybe you should push your HR to, to find those people. I mean, certain influencer in OD, you know, they're not really, maybe they are not really good at one one perspective, but in, in another, they can have a really good influence. Yeah. So it's a bit a gathering of the individuals, like regardless of uh, what whatever demographic, etc. But more of the 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 attitude and approach towards having this constant willingness to learn. But in terms of the um, in terms of keeping up with a lot of topics, right? I, I do agree with you. Like the access in in our in our modern day, the access to information is so prevalent that there's so much things going on. There's so much advancements. It's impractical, and I would even say impossible to learn everything within an individual's um, lifespan. So I think what is important or what can be done rather is identifying um, areas of interest and, and and that can be achieved, as you said, when companies uh, sent out um, uh, employees and colleagues to conferences, events and learning um, activities to get exposure to new areas that they maybe did not pay as much uh, interest to. 
but then realize that, oh, I actually do find this interesting. I want to learn more about this. Then you would have a varied range, whether you're a specialist or a generalist. It does not matter because it's, it's how we'd say it's, it's agnostic learning, agnostic. You don't have to, if you're a specialist, you can still learn um, other areas outside of your specialized area. You're just better at one particular area. And if you're an, and if you're a generalist, then that's even better. You have a tendency of wanting to know and learn a bit of everything. But I think it's important to identify several areas of learning interests and not try to do too many than you can handle at, at once. And with that said, um, I think the approach, like you said, maybe within the different uh, areas of interest, right? What should you go for learning that is actually useful and not um, too shallow of information? And I, I think that is based on, in every area, looking at what is um, popular enough or in, in actual practical use enough and then learning about those things. So maybe you could sort of divide this in a way where maybe 80% of your learnings are on things that are already in use, even if they are new, whereas twenty percent can be on very experimental um, in, in new technologies like in new learnings and and so on, or some other figure of um, distribution that works for 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 the individual to to learn, such that they are uh, such that they have how do you say a a net of tools. They they are able to use more than one tool within their knowledge um, uh, capabilities. Yeah. Does yeah. any of your com companies have, I know uh, we have been discussing that, uh, not a lot, but uh, discussing that in my company, you know, it's quite common, at least in the big tech companies, yes, to take one day off every second month or every, every once a month or something just to brainstorm and try to come up with something that may or may not be re relevant for your, uh, for your for your current company. Yeah, actually, our team just had an offsite day, uh, like last month, so that pretty productive because we we had a brainstorming it's most not really just brainstorming but we just uh, gathered a lot a long list of things that we want to do but they didn't have a chance to do so that we want to address them and we want to focus on doing them but that this is also related to tech that i brought up before but also like a lot of new things that we want to try out so uh, for the new technologies or well, maybe some um, test framework you know, maybe some uh, uh, develop uh, options alternatives look out so things like that we we want want wanted to try out but but maybe another good way is to uh, from a company level we we tend to be to provide like training sessions or, or training opportunities for for the whole uh, maybe r d team it ought, ought, uh, also other uh, pm uh, teams as well so that we can have those mindsets and, and also with this uh, opportunity to to learn the things that the company think it's worthwhile not just uh, you know, grab a handful from uh, anywhere without actually making them count yeah i think what has been beneficial uh, similar to this is gathering um, um colleagues from different competence areas of the company together so um, and, and I mean, I, I suppose that a similar track for both, most of us is a lot of our work involves a mixture of um, meetings and focus work time. And then every now and then we have uh, workshops and these workshops that we have is, is a little bit refreshing and different from just uh, going through uh, meetings on discussions on existing topics or going through focus work where you're working on your own, but rather uh, working together with different colleagues of different competence areas. So um uh you, you discover things that oh well 
this is a project we would like to work on. How can we work on this together? What do we need from each other? And But also setting some form of guidelines that if we are communicating information to one another from different competence areas, then we need to have a common language. And what I mean by that is a simplified language. So if you're a very technical individual, you want to communicate with someone from business, you want to keep that simplified to business um, uh, language understanding and vice versa. If you're from business, let's say you're legal, instead of using a lot of the legal jargon, etc., you you want to keep it um, simplified on a level that anyone can. Um, so it's it's removing these barriers of entry by having a, a common ground where we can all learn from each other through the workshops, but at the same time also innovate and brainstorm around what are things we, we actually think about we should learn more on or we can learn from each other and if we're not able to who can we bring in that we can learn from and also what can we work on as projects to learn new things together and that is I would say a breath of fresh air I do quite enjoy working on the workshops as um, compared to um, the, 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 the usual uh, necessities of the meetings and focus time so yeah I, I would say that that is that is uh, important to have this not just doing the same thing all the time but some things yes you do need to keep doing to um, uh, continue um, um, areas of work but also bringing in um, a breath of fresh air that is relevant to everyone and not just yourself so it actually enhances the overall learnings in the company with um, many of the co um, colleagues learning new aspects that they didn't once think of or they discover new interests interests through uh, exposure or towards other areas whether it's business technical uh, and, or, or um, outside of the organization yeah i totally agree because uh, from my experience that we we, we kind of also have like for example the monthly or bi-weekly hackathon or like technical workshops and these design forums and that so that we can uh, discuss a lot of things or maybe even like side projects on yourself like you want to you'd like to show off your case and the demo from the uh, demo within the company that you would like to uh, it's also fine so that you can bring bringing your new ideas that maybe other people can get get uh, get get encouraged or get inspired so that um, final wise that we can we can grow together so that's it's, it's i think i think it's a, the spirit is there so that you know, we, we want to we want to make things happen and even even if we don't and like maybe have a year or years so that the mentality is still there then we can keep keep things rolling so which is a good thing amazing well i think on a final note uh, i would like to address the topic that adele raised and i think we've touched upon it quite a bit during this podcast so Adele one of your topics that you wanted to mention was the importance of keeping an open mind when adapting to changes and I feel like we've touched on this quite a bit but how important do you feel it is Adele I think it's very important it's almost essential whether you approach work or personal life because change is constant and if we are stuck on things based on sentimental or emotional value which which does happen in in in, in that of life then it's hard to really move on to new opportunities and new challenges that comes with new opportunities. So I think it's it's core, it's essential, it's must-have that we need to be able to expect the unexpected, live with change, adapt according to change, and things as they happen, they happen. But once they have happened, if it's good, great. If it's not good, what can we do about that? Having that kind of mindset and approach to things is how we can actually be uh, a better version of ourselves than we were the day before and 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 other people as 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 well if they have this kind of way of thinking 
because it, it reduces frustrations because you're, you're more accepting on things when they happen. But it also encourages, a, 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 how do you say, a more optimistic outlook while also, um, while also having um, sufficient uh, uh, um, uh, precautions towards things where when things go bad, Yes, you already expected that to happen because it's it's within um, your expectations of of life. Like things go good, things go bad, but you're not you're not boggled down by that. Instead, you want to look more towards okay, how do I keep going? How do I keep getting better on all kinds of things? And 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 yeah, live life with an open mind. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good <laughs> good mindset. Of course, it's it's a uh, so hard. It's hard to adapt that, but of course it's scary. Change is always scary, and you think it's scary, but on you, uh, once you have done done it, as you said, uh, it's, it's rarely that scary, and it's rarely that something uh, terrible comes out of it. If you, <laughs> but you just uh, need to make that jump sometimes. Just uh, yeah, and it's, it's also a little bit look. Uh, looks, you should look at that problem differently. It can be like uh, we're arguing about uh, make making a uh, op- uh, keep like uh, optimistic optimistic minds but together also on the other hand you also need to a little bit i don't want to say pessimistic but you want to like like you said like self-mentioned like precautions for a lot of things but actually this leads to two different personalities because i want to say that because this is exactly what's happening in my family but myself is actually uh, he's not a little bit precaution wise and uh, pessimistic person but on the other hand my wife is a really optimistic and to take on the things as as they come uh, without like you know, looking out for dangers, things like that. So that you need kind of this balance in a family, but also maybe in a company, you also need this kind of two different mentalities at the same time. So you need to balance them out. But once one, uh, in the meantime, we open, we we have an opening mind. But on the other hand, you need to look out for for the for the unexpected, so that they can can be coming both ways. So what? Uh, and so, as as you know, so we have both positive and negative, both in and out, so that we that we can cope things in a general generalized way. So like we can be full hands. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like approaching things uh, with balance, and uh, uh, perhaps the approach of really being open minded is if you're um you're more on the pessimistic side of things, then you bring in the acceptance towards uh, allowing optimism to flow through. And if you're more optimistic um, and to, the, to, 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 to things, then you open up to being precautious, uh, having sufficient pessimism around things as well, such that you don't let, you don't let either side become too much that um, you only see things in a narrow um, perspective. And, uh, and thereby, by having this balance, you actually achieve um, open-mindedness. I think we touched, touched on it a little bit before, but that's, that's uh, of course makes it even more clear that you need to have a divergence in your in your in your team or in your in your work group you need to have a little bit of <laughs> of different personalities and then perhaps the team will success the most you you make the most of out of your employees but actually no, normally well, well, from my previous experience actually just that when technical people they they are what I when I when I met both of technical people they are men. Uh, precaution-wise, and a little bit pessimistic, and they are wor- more worried about like what what if things doesn't go their way. And like a lot of starters, like product managers, when they look out things, then they they are more open-minded. Oh, just oh, this gonna work. Trust me, this is gonna work. So normally, we already have like two different uh, personalities already uh, within the company, and depending on the roles, I have a little bit 
as well. That's what I want to bring. Yeah, I think it's a bit of reeling back one another in the sense of within the team by having this balance, by having the pessimistic one, they can reel back those that are too optimistic. But um, by having the optimistic ones, it ensures that it's not only pessimism, but looking at opportunities that can be um, um, touched upon. So is this, yeah, yeah everyone keeping everyone, in, uh, with, 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 by having a balance in the team that everyone keeps everyone in, in, in check, but also going towards opportunities and looking out for dangers and not just going full on, okay, everything is dangerous or, oh, full on everything is opportunities uh, without seeing um, the other side. Amazing. Well, I think we had a fantastic discussion there, everyone, but unfortunately we're nearing time. So before we end the podcast, what I would like to do is I'd just like to say thank you so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts. So today they have been Yanjun, Engineering Manager at Revtel. Martin, Product Manager at E8 Mobile Robotics, and Adelric, Product Manager at Orobay. So if you would like to participate in a future podcast or would like to discuss maybe how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, thank you so much to all of our guests for taking part. And also thank you to all of you who are listening. We really hope that you can join us again next time. Thank you.